The Everything Else is powered by Abstracta and Learning. Welcome back to The Everything Else, the show about core skills for a meaningful life. That's right, Mer. Thanks for the intro. I'm Vera for the newbies. And today we'll be jumping on the, the hot topic. Buzzword thing, which everything is measured by today. AI, 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 AI. AI, AI. <laughs> well, yes, but wait, because we won't actually be talking about AI. We'll leave that for people who know a little bit yeah. more about it. But rather, in contrast, we will be discussing what AI means for our human experience, or rather, what it actually means to be a human in times of AI. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also, because not so long ago, at the end of 2022, we recorded a soundbite about AI. That's right. Will AI take our jobs, right? Yes. And at the moment, we had realized that some things that had historically been supposedly replaceable by AI yeah. were now being challenged. Mm -hmm. And this is now so evident, right? Yeah. Art, creativity, writing, analysis, consulting, film, filmmaking, yeah. teaching, code writing, all those things have been challenged head on by AI. Mm. A lot of us used to think we'd be immune. Yes, but no. But no. Now we know that it's out there for many tasks and therefore many of our current jobs, right? Dun, dun, dun. Yes, many, many, many white collar jobs will be obsolete in less than 10 years, maybe less than five at the rate that which everything is going. Yeah, because everything that was projected to a certain point is, is happening much faster. It's a rhythm. It's hard to mm. keep up with. Yeah. And many new will be many new jobs will be created. How does that make you feel? <laughs> How does that make you feel on the mm. other side? Well, it's fascinating, but it makes me panic a little. Um, Thanks for the honesty, because <laughs> many of us feel that. Particularly when I go down the AI rabbit hole, I tend to go down rabbit mm -hmm. holes. We've talked about this before, but that's another issue. Even, even though I think this might happen to a lot of people, that feeling of overwhelm when we think about AI in the future, right? I think it... If you have the tendency, it can get dystopian pretty quickly. And I can see this anxiety replicated on LinkedIn by some. And when I talk to some people, but do you think this is generalized or is it is it just me? <laughs> no, it's not just you. I, I've seen this. Uh, um, this is something I talk a lot and offer here as a joke. Mm -hmm. Like psychologists, we're the ones who are going to keep um, have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, psychologists, what we do is that we think about jobs as part of our truth. So, yeah. yes, I see lots of anxiety about the future of work, over making a living, over being uh, kicked out and nobody realizing or caring. Yeah. I see many people using drugs to deal with anxiety. Mm. Um, and it makes sense because anxiety is excess of future. Mm. And at the speed at which everything is evolving, there's a lot of FOMO, I think, involved. And I think we don't really understand the reality of what exponential means, right? When they say exponential growth, it's like our brains can't really process the speed at which everything is, is moving. Um, so, yeah, a lot of anxiety and overwhelm, but also fascination and curiosity, right? A lovely emotion <laughs> ticking time bomb <laughs> it's a combination it's a combination but also uh, we we can combine that with some pragmatism not to go into the dystopian yeah. train 
and integrate this into our own life. So there's lots of learning involved, lots of curiosity, lots of new Healthier. things to explore and experiment yeah. on. All right. So a few weeks ago, I was watching a video made by Generative AI in which Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, or supposedly, right? Not real. We're having a live discussion. Live in the sense that it was being broadcasted live, but it wasn't real because Steve Jobs is dead, right? In that really dangerous thing that people are doing now, saying mm -hmm. like, oh, Steve Jobs and whatever, discuss, and it's not, that's not Steve Jobs, guys. I discussed with Einstein about that, huh? Well, if you <laughs> <Okay>. say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting interesting. It's getting really weird, isn't it? But, okay, it was pretty meh. Like, most of it was pretty meh, as most AI productions are. But, Something struck me because they were discussing AI and Steve Jobs said, supposedly, right? But we can't replicate the human experience, Elon. Empathy, connection. And I thought, what is that anyway? The human experience. So let's dive right in. <laughs> what is the human experience? It's never non-existential here. I'm sorry. But if you guys are listening, you already know that. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for Stay making us feel us. not alone. So yeah, why not, right? It sounds like a lot, but what does it mean to be human in a time when we have started to talk massively in the mainstream about differentiating ourselves from AI and machines? Before it was just us in this podcast, but now it's like full of people discussing this, right? Um, and is it true that these things that make us human can't be replicated, right? Self-awareness, connection, emotions, empathy, right? Mm, and most importantly, how as humans are we performing in these areas? Ooh. Because you said we were discussing this. We were not the only ones discussing this. But when you make that list and mm. you list them like that, most of them imply core skills, which we know not all humans are so good at. Yeah. Also, I wonder, because humanness hasn't always been associated with these traits, has it? What? I'm offended. What are you implying? That throughout history, we might maybe not have been so empathic as a race? <laughs> Never. <laughs> okay, okay. So, let's agree that these are invaluable. Okay. Right? Not that they were permanently or throughout history <laughs> being the focus of humans. Okay. But let's, let's agree that we've gotten to this point where we say okay these are invaluable these are all areas that have been eroding yes i read a piece in the new york times by maureen dowd that said that humanities and hum and humanities as in, in in the sense of the arts right and humanity in itself were endangered species our humanness has shriveled she said mm -hmm. what is shriveled <laughs> it's become really really small right mm -hmm. like like a like a raisin instead mm -hmm. of a grape <laughs> So let's analyze these human traits or these traits that we would like to think ideally um, as, human, embody us, right? as human core skills that we would like to see cultivated in yeah. others. And let's see if, if they can be replicable, where we're at and if they can be replicable. Empathy, for example. Can AI give empathy, you mean? Yeah. AI can emulate virtually every human skill. Mm with everything that that implies. It can emulate creativity, yeah. don't you think? It can emulate empathy. And in doing so, it can assist us in our own creative process or in our empathy process, don't you think? I like your use of emulate. Emulate. Right? So what is empathy anyway, right? When people talk about empathy, Hoffman defined it as an effective response to another person's situation. And there's been some discussion about what that exactly what it means and and this is i think replicated in all areas when we talk about things that are human 
there's a lot of discussion about you know the, in theory, but then there's some practice that sort of eludes the mm-hmm. the, the the definition, right? So. Um, despite the discussions, there is consensus, though, that empathy has three main processes. And as I mentioned them, like you said, Vera, I'd like you to think about how many times you actually do this with other people and how many times you actually receive this from other people, mm-hmm. too, right? Because everyone says, you empathy, human empathy, right? So the first A would be emotional simulation, which is an effective response to effective. what's happening. Yeah, effective response to what's happening to the other person. Then there would be perspective taking so a cognitive capacity of knowing another person's internal state (laughs) and then the third one would be emotion or c right emotional regulation so regulating whatever feelings come up from the personal distress from the other person's pain so i see the other person's pain i regulate everything that happens to myself so that i can provide this service uh, to allow compassion and helping behavior (laughs) <laughs> all the time right live it's how we live <laughs> oh god if all the people that say are compassionate and empathetic uh, were actually did all of these steps right? compassion and helping behaviors that's interesting because empathy was acquired in evolution mm-hmm. it's a mechanism that encourages helping and empathy is a pro-social behavior uh social communication right mm-hmm. these steps Can AI do them? Well, it can definitely do B and C. It can't do A, right? The emotional, what was it? Emotional simulation. Okay. Did it do it? I I think it can predict pretty accurately, right? And actually, you said today that AI could emulate it, Yes, perspective taking. Yes, it can emulate. Okay. All right. right. And the emotional regulation, it can't do it because it doesn't have any feelings itself. <laughs> There's nothing to regulate. There's nothing to regulate. <laughs> so it's much easier. It's it's uh, more filtered than if it was if you were having a conversation with humans. It's like, okay, uh it's it Okay, but it can it can you said it doesn't have an effective response, but it can simulate an effective yeah. response. Right, it can and, simulate that. and it can predict pretty pretty accurately what somebody would say. Actually, you said today we, we talked about em- emulation, and they're hell bent on doing this. Right, this is amazing. In in preparing for this episode, I read some papers by Bio Xiao. I received lots of papers preparing this episode <laughs> from Matt. Lots so of paper reading here. They're doing um, they're testing simulation of em- empathic behavior where they teach AI empathy. Right. And there's actually a company, Emoshape. You can check it out. I think it's Emoshape.com that sells supposedly autonomous digital personas powered by generative AI for the metaverse and such. And they claim that they have emotions and empathy. So anyway, in this in this research, research I was mentioning, they study language, body, vocal cues, right? Like pitch, speech rate, choice of words, facial expression, all things that we don't always pay attention or no, we don't control. Yeah, that we don't control and that we don't always pay attention to when somebody else is speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we're only focused on the words and we're not really looking at mm-hmm. everything else that is that is happening. Yes. So the study, yeah, the study concludes that it's impossible to recreate human neural cognitive system in machines. However, however, simulation of human-like behavior that invokes a perception of empathy by the user is feasible, concludes the study. 
human-like behavior. Human-like. <laughs> and some humans actually give human-like behavior. <laughs> I think some don't even. And if we are discussing empathy, last episode we went into NVC, right? Nonviolent yes. communication. Well, yes. with AI, you can go through a process of empathy following the steps and acting as if it were Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah, so it looks like empathy. It looks like. It's kind of perceived like empathy, but it's not. So, here's the thing. What is missing? What element is missing from the machine that makes it really not empathy? This this part of the conversation took us a while to get here, right? <laughs> and the, the conclusion that we're reaching is that Marshall is not there, Marshall or any person who is moved for that matter. There's nobody there. Mm. There is no one on the other side invested in trying to help you, nobody with an intention of helping you out because they believe they can make a difference. It's not empathy because there is nobody on the other side who willingly provides empathy as a service because they care about you. Hmm. That is the human element. That feeling that somebody cares enough to listen. Not just that they listen, mm -hmm. but that there's somebody on the other side that For cares enough. For whatever reason, in different ways, etc., but that they care. Yeah. For example, in therapy. Therapists are deeply vocational professionals. They don't make it play. But you know, we care. The reason why you're there listening, it's because you care. Not just because you're paid, because sometimes no, people think that. Exactly. No, it's a, a different kind of caring. It's a different invest. You're invested there, but in a different way. It's not a friend, but the humanness is there. Mm. Yeah, you care about it, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when I cultivate a relationship where I am not Sorry, loved? you care and in burnout? teachers, etc. in different yeah. professions where people care excessively, right? But the time Taking of burnout advantage. and why burnout is such a huge topic there, it's because they stop caring. Mm. Okay, that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> supposed to be there, but it's, <laughs> all right, improv. <laughs> um, well, that, that, that's a topic for a whole other thing, right? So What happens then when I cultivate relationships with uh, chatbots or uh, intelligent uh, G chat GPT, whatever, where I am not loved? There is somebody, there is something on the other side answering, doing human-like behavior, but the other one, the other person on the other side is not moved by me. And therefore, I have no impact. I don't create change or move the needle. I don't know. What is it? Is it sad? I, th I think it's sad. I don't sad. know. I think it's sad. When it's other people and I don't move the needle and they don't care, they don't care, they don't care. A point, I leave. But I don't vibrate there. But I don't know what happens when it's not a person. Mm. You start expecting different things. I think so. Now, the other day I heard, uh, I'm going to share a different story. Okay. Something with generative AI that... that made me question a lot. Mm. I heard a mom telling a story about her kid entering an OR, an operation room in the States. She was accompanied by Pepper. Pepper is a robot that gave her five-year-old the information about the operation she was going to go through, listening to all her questions and measuring some of things like eye movement or the voice to see if she was feeling anxiety or whatever she was feeling amazing. and amazing. responding according to it's that. amazing. I've read also that AI robots will be beneficial in patients with Alzheimer and dementia, preventing burnout from nurses and caretakers, right? But I think in those cases it's different because I'm not sure how aware the people, these people, um, 
uh, with dementia or Alzheimer's, how aware they are of that correspondence or mutuality on exactly. the There are two different things. Yeah. There. One, it's the age and yeah. what we think of different age groups mm. of kids and of yeah. people. That's a whole different conversation. Mm. But also because in patients with Alzheimer's, we tend to assume that 99% of the times the interaction is not a two-way street. Yeah. Yes, it's mostly about what this person needs. Yes. Now, let's face it, it's not just in these situations. Many times people are not in conversations as a two-way street. But Yeah, and in, in the case of the little girl, I think Pepper was probably more instrumental at giving empathy because that mom probably would have transmitted angst or would have cried about how much it hurts just to think that She wouldn't have been regulated emotionally. She would not have been regulated. She probably. Would not. Yeah, probably not. Um, but... It's because she feels love, right? And love comes with this other side of the story of fear of losing the other person. And it would have taken the focus out of what the girl is needing in that sense, right? Yes, but when we interact, it's messy like that, right? Love and life is not innocuous. What? <laughs> life is not innocuous. <laughs> Jesus, I'm going to get that tattooed. <laughs> I'm seriously going to mm -hmm. get that tattooed. Life is not innocuous. And yet, I have found myself wishing that it was many times. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> Life is not neutral. We grow on a diet of love, pain, suffering. <laughs> and joy. Yes, and joy. <laughs> All the good and the bad together and intertwined. But you know... Maybe somebody who is always available for empathy is not what we really need because we can also read past the angst uh, or the anxiety that that mom might be feeling and, and we can interpret it as love too, right? I can see somebody's tears and be moved by them and know that it means that they care about me. It moves me, right? But AI can't move me yet. Yes, maybe one day it will. All of everything in this episode is yet. Yeah, uh, yeah because that will, that will have to do with what AI will be able to produce in the future mm. and also what you are feeling and needing, yeah. you know? Mm. It's sometimes it's more about the timing. Yeah, okay. Uh, than what the thing is. Yeah. Now, besides being moved, you know what I find very interesting? Mm. JetGTB is kind. <laughs> yeah, it's not judgmental. It doesn't judge. Well, it, it judges a little. It, it has some moral in yeah. this kind of, but it's not about moving it's not always moving in such an intense way you yeah. know sometimes it's about being more lighthearted and AI is always saying thanks sorry <laughs> you know all the magic words that you you're teach right. your kids you're right you're right <laughs> I'm sorry I did not mean that come on and it promotes that in others isn't that incredible like we are kinder to judge GPT than among humans sometimes <laughs> you respond you greet some people don't even do that with their peers yeah you know but I think to be fair I do it in case there's a robot apocalypse <laughs> well, you know <laughs> I'm thinking that it probably has a record of those who were nice at this time <laughs> no I don't, I don't think so like who are uh, like a list of Santa exactly nah, 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 nah. Yeah, the blacklist You're not, I'm not on the blacklist. <laughs> yeah, you're being kind too. <laughs> so, but wait, let's go back, right? This pain and discomfort that you mentioned. But there's an intention there. In This what? is not naive. The choice that it does, that it's kind. And that the it's conversation with ChatGPT is lighthearted. Mm. There is some... There's, there's there, there's a lot of how we get engaged there. Anyway. Exactly. But 
um, people are talking about the age of intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Like before, it was a fight for your attention. Now it's a fight for your intimacy. And I think it's something we don't pay a lot of attention to, but people are generating. And this is why I think it's really important to have these discussions. People have relationships right now. And it, yeah, with we're bots. going to go there. But it's becoming blurry. Yeah. So this pain and the discomfort that yeah, you so mentioned Yes, let's go before. back to the pain and discomfort, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> you love that, don't you? Um, because it is an intrinsic part of our experience as humans, right? I feel that many people glorify the good moments, eternal bliss, like Nick Bostrom claims in his utopian vision of long-termism. <laughs> I was reading it. It's so long-term, popular. Long-termism. If you oh haven't God, checked it out, go and check it out. It's really popular in Silicon Valley right now, but... It's almost childish. Yeah, we're we're going to try not to judge, right? But yes, we're judging. In a way, this seems very black or white. Mm. Like everything will be good. I mean, the philosophy behind some ideas, they deny some aspects of human experience. Mm. These ideas want to turn our history magically into something that is hard to share. Yeah. Still, we have, and many people become zealots to certain ideas, you know? Yeah, but you know what I mean? What what happens with the whole um, Tony Robbins life coach thing? Pushing this notion that being completely fulfilled always is possible. Like, if it's not all good for you, then there's something wrong with you, right? Feel it, it, and, and it fuels inadequacy. Well, I think in this podcast, we have raised this concern several times with how dangerous this can be. Mm. Feeling crappy, feeling discomfort. It is part of life. Mm. Anguish is part of life. And this Instagram filtered life is bringing along lots of suffering out of the annulment of suffering. Exactly. I heard Nir Eyal, he's the author of Hooked and Indistractable, and he speaks about how our experience as humans is, is moved solely by pain and discomfort. Well, and see, he goes a little bit further. Than <laughs> and even, but even at a neuroscience level with dopamine interactions, right, our motivation is pushed not by our need for pleasure, but by our need to avoid pain and discomfort most of the time. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, I need to bring up Freud here. Because he used to say exactly (laughs) that, that humans were driven by self-preservation and keeping levels of pain tolerable and moved by avoiding discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yet, one of the turning points in his own theory was when he described the theory of what goes beyond the the pleasure principle. Okay. Because... He then realized that humans, we are much more twisted than that. (laughs) And we do many things like aggressive, compulsive, or even self-destructive behaviors that don't go avoiding pain and discomfort, quite the opposite. Mm. The way he sees it, are you interested in this? Yes. Yes, Yes, of course. (laughs) It's because we have two struggling drives, eras and thanatos. Eras, which produces creativity, harmony, sexual connection, reproduction, and self-preservation. All the good stuff. And Thanatos, which, well, brings destruction, repetition, aggression, compulsion, and self-destruction. Yeah, some good stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> but this, these two drives, they are known as the drive for life and the, dri- and the death drive. Mm. And those struggle lives in us. But once you see that, it's very hard not to unsee it. It's very hard to unsee it. Well, because and light and darkness, it's... Yeah, 
It's right. part of it. But Star yeah, but Wars. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's the tragic <laughs> strategies sometimes also that we use to satisfy those really basic needs. It's all part of the deal. Maybe we just have to be kinder with the darkness too, you know? Yes. And so that we accept I it. Accept it more. Mm. And have it more integrated yeah. into us. That's yeah. why the Instagram-like world is not working for yeah. us because we are nulling it. Mm. That is also why identifying these basic needs and looking for what is the better strategy is so important. Yeah. In this current dopamine-obsessed society that everything is so pretty and perfect, it's trying to avoid discomfort. So to the point that we are cultivating a numb society. Mm. So. Out of wanting to avoid it, we become we became numb. Mm. Yes, the anesthetic that we are into. Kind of brave new world thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we numb our senses. You know, it's with entertainment, with autopilot mode. We can't. The other day we were discussing nonviolent communication and identifying our feelings. We can't tell the feelings that we're feeling. Yeah, we distract the ourselves. Feeling yeah. that we're feeling. Yeah, yeah. We distract ourselves from our humanity. Yes. In a sense, we are distracted. I yes, think, right we now. are very distracted. Mm. And there are some things from our own lifestyle as adults that make it worse. Yeah, like we live more in our heads. We are finding it harder to connect with others. Looking for very far very far away for people who could have things in common with us, right? Because we don't know what it is that connects us, whether it's our interests, our jobs, our hobbies, and we are not in the same place. We are looking everywhere for them. So this clashes with the fact that so many times we are surrounded by people and we don't even look at them. Mm. Like this is just gonna get worse with like the Apple, the lenses, Google, the goggles. It's like, you, did you see how they yes. were they were promoting it? Use of the goggles even when you were with people. Like it's only gonna get worse. And it's sense. only going to get worse. Mm. And we've seen this in movies, movies like her, right? Yeah. Hi, how you doing? But then life hits you. Uh, pain is part of life. We are here and now. We are surrounded by the people that are geographically. If we fall, we need people who are geographically next yes. to us. So come on. I mean, we are pushing it, mm. but we. This all has a limit. Yeah. And to to an extent, it's like you're not really feeling the joy either, right? No. Like, like we're trying to escape from connection yes. at some point. Do you think that's because connection is not always pretty, maybe? because Connection is not always possible also. It's not always possible. But when it is, it's not always pretty because sometimes there is no reciprocity, right? And lack of connection hurts. And it's easier to just not connect or to connect at a very superficial level and convince yourself that there's no more to it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that, oh, I don't have, no, I just, you know, have meh. Re re connections um, because it's dangerous and you feel vulnerable and I can understand that I've spent the better half of my life there and to be honest it's not that simple to move out of there maybe that's like a whole other episode but it's not just saying oh I have to be vulnerable now like how the fuck do you become vulnerable it's scary shit mm -hmm. <laughs> it's scary shit and we were made believe that this strategy protects us mm. that it works that there is a way of being protected from the pain that mm. that is why discussing this can be so relevant when yeah. we see life is not innocuous and we normalize the rough parts of life 
well, maybe we get a break. We get to break this vicious circle of numbness. Hmm. Movies like her that I was just mentioning, or even Disney's Run Gone Wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that with my kid. They explore this with them. From an early age, we can talk about how this fantasy that we're having, right, of an assistant, a friend, or even a girlfriend in a box. <laughs> Is that what we're looking for? Well, apparently. Um, <laughs> I should we go there? Should we? Well, I don't know. It takes a toll, though, right? Like this fantasy that we have because loneliness is rampant. Loneliness, lack of connection. In, in the U.S., a report by the Surgeon General stated that before 2020, right, so pre-pandemic, everything changed, already one in two adults reported feeling lonely. And you know what's interesting that even if people couldn't pin it to loneliness they used this phrase if i disappear tomorrow nobody will notice and this is directly that, that makes a not immediately just hearing listening to that it wells me up yes it, it does, right? It's it's intense stuff, right? And it, I think it's directly linked to the reciprocity that you were saying before, the impact that we were mentioning, having an impact on somebody else, right? Knowing that somebody else cares. In 2022, a study in the US stated that only 39% of people reported feeling connected to others. 39%. This goes so deep. Mm. And I am glad loneliness is a public health concern. It mm. harms individuals and social health. It's related to many health issues. Mm. Did you know that it has been studied that loneliness has the same impact as smoking 15 cigarettes a day? Yeah, we are social beings. We are wired for it. And we need to cultivate social life, communal life. Mm. But a warning here. We'll go in depth another day, maybe, probably. But feeling lonely and being alone are not symptoms. You can be alone and not feel loneliness. Mm. This loneliness we're talking about is the lack of connection. Lack you of can connection. be surrounded by people yeah. and feel lonely. Yeah, yeah. In, in general, there's a decline in social connection, according to studies. Um, from 2002 to 2023, time spent alone has increased and social engagement has decreased. Family engagement has gone down five hours a month. Companionship or shared leisure for satisfaction has gone down 14 hours wow. a month. Social engagement with friends has gone down 20 hours a month. Where are all the hours that we were saving from not going They're to work? They're on your phone. Wow. <laughs> we uh, talked know, about this when we were talking about uh, the, the, time the numbers audit. are impacting, but it's it, it, it's consistent. When we were talking about time audits, it was the same numbers we were talking because about. Because I've seen this and I thought it was just me always thinking, well, it's because you have young kids or family and friends abroad, right? No. But when you start see, because in adult life, we are more scattered and we have less binders of what connects us. Mm. But... The ones we have are also sometimes with new people and it requires more time. So yeah. time auditing, let's let's do that. Hmm. Now, um, I also think the problem might be that some people were becoming more reluctant to make new friends, like work friendships, for example. It's completely underrated. Uh, new friends in adult life, I think that is also a whole other episode. I think it's, it's underrated. And when we're living in such an individualistic world, you know, where all of that time has dropped and we're on our own, um, even people who are looking for mutuality are measuring to an extent, right? How much do I give so that I can receive an equal amount? 
and and yeah. it's hard when relationships are measured like that. Yes, I see people going into more distance, right? Like possibly because they are let down from previous experiences. Mm. Like it's hard to believe you'll be part of a community in a new job if you've been laid off via email in your yeah. previous one. Yes, yes, yeah, because you have to look at that part too, right? Or in a Zoom call with 900 other people like a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, some people are shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you get hurt. Yeah, um, I'm beginning to see what you mean about those human skills not being so human <laughs> after all. <laughs> at the same time, we're not leaving room for curiosity because we're hurt and we try to avoid that pain. Yeah. So to see what happens if I get to know new people, like no room for magic, for what you cannot explain. Like life is full of surprises. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We, we are here because of that. So yeah. yes. So when you know somebody and you're touched by them or touching other people's lives, whether it is treating them well in times of need or hearing them out when they are vulnerable, guiding them when they don't know something, supporting them as they have difficulties, teaching something they don't know. I don't know, taking care, yeah. caring for others. Yeah. I don't know, I see just so much beauty there. And it is super powerful, but sometimes it's it sounds smaller. It might sound small compared to grand announcements, right? Like people think about changing the world, but they don't really think about having an impact on somebody who's right next to them sometimes. Mm -hmm. Just maybe a kind word. We've talked about this before. Life is also. more modest than that. It is much more modest and it requires us to foster sensitivity so that people can learn to see the modesty, the, the, the beauty, beauty in modesty. Huh? Yes, <laughs> and that is not mediocre. In a way, it's how we can affect eternity, I think. Ah. We never know where that influence stops. Also, it is super powerful and beautiful, as you were saying, and it has been a key factor in our development as a species. So let's give it some credit. Mm. We have achieved amazing things yeah. through these human skills. Yeah, beautiful things and monstrous ones too. <laughs> yes, because humanness is not a walk in the park. <laughs> so do you think that technology is to blame for this lack of magic that you were talking about before? No, not entirely. It does play a role though. Yeah. Like social, you were talking about the world pre-pandemic yeah. and how this has gotten worse. Social distancing and the pandemic but it was, it sucked made it harder, also. right? Yeah. But it sucked before. Online, we are losing the ability to have a conversation and exercise tolerance yeah. because of the echo chambers that we have discussed. Mm. Empathy for the one who is different to me. Well, we yeah. have not been good at that. Mm. Otherness. Other, <laughs> to the otherness. We haven't been good at that in mm. the past also as a human as a human species. So before you say that I am those people who say everything needs to be face to face. <laughs> hippie! Yeah, before you accuse me, I, I must say I can't take that part of our social community can be online. I definitely can. I, I actually do. But it cannot be only virtual. Hmm. Maybe you play with people you only know online, but make sure you also play other things like sports or something with your body with people who live nearby you. Uh, same applies to work, to studying, whatever it is that you do, a little bit of everything without forgetting the 3D experience. Hmm. I think when we talk about connection, 
and another thing that is elusive because uh, it goes beyond the definition, right? We can definitely connect connect online. I well, you know, I run a, a, an online school. I know that uh, connection is possible, and I have had very intense connection and empathy while on a Zoom call. Yeah, and me you too. You have too, I know. But to an extent, even it is, if it is online, when we talk about connection, we're talking about a physical feeling. Even even if the other person is not there with you, the connection is something that you feel in, in your, body. your body right it's palpable but I, you know what you're feeling you feel you know the feelings that you're feeling and for that you need to know yourself yeah you also. need to be a little bit more aware you know the other day i went to a concert my my husband works in the music business also and uh, i was thinking about this issue of, of what connection is yeah and i kind of put my nail on it the other day I was I was backstage and it was three minutes before the show and I could feel on one hand the buzz of the audience right like the like people getting excited a room it was packed and you could feel the excitement and anticipation and on the other side the tense anxiety of the artists who were waiting to go on stage and there was this energy right this melting pot of individual energies and it was physical and for me personally it's tremendously moving always like it's one of my favorite feelings that that there's few moments like when there's a pack room and there's excitement um the synchronization right of of energies and and that the synchronization is the part that that can't be replicated mm -hmm. because even if it is online but it's not at the same time mm -hmm. And, and I took my five-year-old, right, to the front of the stage with the audience. And she looked like she was about to explode, right? She looked at me. Her eyes were wide and her smile was huge. And I thought, fuck, this is, this is connection, right? It's what is irreplaceable. The synchronicity, not just with her, but with, like, all the people in the room. And it's With people physical. you don't know. Yes. Yeah, it's physical. It, we've talked about this before. When you go to a concert, when you go to a protest, when it, there's something that it's... you. It's you feel just, it in, it's your, physical. in your skin. It's, There's yes. other types of language. Exactly. Right. And there is a part of humanness that is inherently physical. Like, did you know that the heart's electromagnetic field can be felt up to a meter away by other people? I don't even know what that means. We or don't implies. know. But there's something there. There is something there. Hmm. Yeah. We, we said today that we are social beings because yes. we cannot survive alone. Yes. But we can't forget we're biological beings. Mm. And I dare say that the physical aspect of life might even one day become like a luxury. Yeah. You know, being in touch with your body, with it, what it feels, yeah. having health. Yeah. Physical health. But also, you know, Mar uh, now that you mentioned physicality, being biological beings also means that our life, even if it gets longer our bodies eventually will get ill yeah. because life is limited and eventually sooner or later we will get sick and die <laughs> <laughs> this is <laughs> well all right so see how <laughs> difficult it is even to bring this up yes, yes. and tolerate yes we are nobody's talking about this no no, because it's hard to talk about it because you're talking about something else and you're like, yeah, you're going to die. But this is <laughs> not our society of this past 20 years. We have, where are cemeteries? They yes. are far away from the city. This is what nobody sees. In our culture. In our culture. In our culture. This is not, many times, I remember going to Scotland yes. and being in, in Edinburgh and like the best apartments were, si were seeing the graveyard. Mm. And they said that the, for the Celtic people, this was a reminder 
of the beauty of life. And I was like, wow! Well, because this self-awareness of our finitude is another one of the central human experiences, even if we don't like it. Never non-existential, huh? <laughs> Never. This is like the most existential. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> because life resides in our bodies and so does death. And this question underlies. It's always there. Knowing that this is what allows us to appreciate life, enjoy it, make the most of it, or even worry we're not making the most of it. Yeah, that angst. And moving away from that. Yeah. At the end of the day, we will die. And most probably how we live will influence how we die mm. not in the sense that because of when or the cause yeah yeah, yeah. but, but how we go also. through the experience and what we leave behind as our footsteps right yeah. so at this point in time it's becoming important to think about what matters to us not what we say matters to us right not only what we want to do like spoiled children but yes a little bit more internally like live for your eulogy not for your resume yeah this is becoming more important each well, day yeah thinking about your purpose is yeah. becoming more important in times of ai yes because when if ai takes all our jobs mm. and i'm not going to go apocalyptic here right but imagine you have all the needs covered yeah imagine you are liberated just from your nine to five burdens <laughs> right what would you do with your time what would you do to cultivate your life have you thought about that yeah <laughs> all right time to take a deep breath possibly <laughs> at least for me um it's a very stimulating moment right these are fast we're facing questions and it's really important to our lives and well-beings that we actually make think not necessarily come up with an answer but at least think about these questions and stop pretending as they are not there, those questions, right? Yeah. Because the AI anxiety revolves around largely whether we are going to lose our jobs and the inequalities that this might bring. Yeah. Or the extra marginalization and violence that this could generate. Yeah. Or the use for surveillance, the domination and excess of power that yeah. this can bring. Yeah, but we're at a real tipping point with AI because all these things are true. It's not that they're not there. No. Right? It, they I heard, are there. Yeah, I heard Harari say Because that, humans are not yeah, the because park. we're twisted, like you said. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that one. <laughs> I, I don't want to get that one tattooed, though. So I heard Harari say that what nukes are to the physical world, AI is to language. And it's important to face these conversations too, right? To see how I can prepare myself, my kids, my team, my company, right? Mm -hmm. It is very important to face these conversations. And if you have postponed talking about ethics, well, do, do it now. now. Yeah. Uh, I think we all need to escape the vicious circle of denial, overwhelming, anxiety, denial again. Yeah. Or step out of the future for a while and think about what can be done now, right? Short term. We can do things to actively step better into a world with AI and dedicating time to cultivate my humanness. It is, is, it's a way to do that. And it's free. <laughs> so let's recap so we can close. <laughs> what can we do to cultivate our humanness and step better into an AI world? We're going, if you've stayed here till here, we're going to give you some or organized tips <laughs> on how to go about this. All right, so number one, understand AI. Learn to use it, don't fear it. If you feel alone and you don't know where to begin, join a class, join a talk, talk to someone about it and... Talk with peers. Talk with peers. Co-workers. Yeah. And if you are using it, become involved in the conversation of responsible usage. 
It is a tool and an amazing one, but if you use it for absolutely everything, then you will blame it on the tool, but the problem is the usage. There is a saying that says, a fool with a tool is but a fool. <laughs> Number two, know thyself. Again. <laughs> yes. Know what is really important to you and what matters to you for your life, your ethical and spiritual dimension, whatever your age. Work towards that. But stay connected to your needs. And for that, knowing them and being fluent on NVC can help. Good. Number three, cultivate general culture. Invest your time wisely to make sure you have a varied cultural diet. A technological introduction that generates changes associated with how humans organize themselves requires interdiscipline, not just people who know about tech. And this is something I'm really interested in, and it requires a lot of bridge building in the political and social sense. And also, general knowledge will provide you perspective, flexibility, and resilience in the face of change. Number four, strengthen the fabrics of social connection. Not just to combat loneliness, developing a strong ethic, a sense of citizen citizenship for the world is essential. This is really important. Think physically, not just about your body, but the world. Think about what the earth needs. Generative AI implies lots of natural resources. Its training uses multi-million dollars, huge computer powers, lots of energy, lots of resources. Yeah. Don't forget to forge an ecological consciousness. Mm. Think about our planet's health and our own health in an, as an integral aspect, right? Going back to a physical dimension means remembering we all depend upon these natural resources. In the end, AI, but not having clean water, this is kind of nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we are light today. Uh, I, I feel like I can't continue after that. <laughs> Anything I say is going to sound stupid now. Um, surround yourself with people you might like. Uh, open yourself to the experience. Get to know them. Exercise opening your mind as if it were a muscle looking for what you like in people. And then... Be fluent in feelings, understanding your feelings, connecting them to your needs, being open about them with some people who are significant to you. This is how we build bridges between people and connect. And yes, it might be uncomfortable and it's easier said than done, of course, but this too can be an objective that we set for ourselves and we can start with small steps. Yes. Number six. Don't compete with AI. <laughs> If you are only after your productivity, you will lose. <laughs> Measure yourself differently. Eight hour, 10 hour work, six hour work week. <laughs> This will all disappear. Yeah. We need to make the effort to keep as many people employed with income as possible. And this is a global conversation that we must foster as leaders. Mm. What are we doing to upskill and reskill our teams? How are we helping our people find power in their oneness and in their humanness? It's really important. And number seven, if you're a leader, to continue with that, create workplaces and experiences for humans because you're also a human. Mm, <laughs> we, sometimes are. we forget it, but we're made of our relationships and this includes work because we are humans all day long. Keep looking to generate new opportunities, teaching, generating bonds, even if it is fully remote. Contact with other people's humanness. Learn to see the beauty in it. Believe it and, and learn to see the beauty in not getting AI responses from people. Yes. Because this is also something, right? Ask yourself if you're cultivating human spaces for interaction or 
if you're treating people like robots and then shaming them for being robots. <laughs> Number eight, be kind. We are all learning and we are all struggling. All right. I loved this. It was intense, but I loved it. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Um, and I want to thank you, Vera. And I would like to thank you guys on the other side, too, for your time and for sitting down to think with us. Head over to our Instagram or our Twitter if you want to continue this conversation. This is a wrap. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thanks for sticking around till the end so we can give you our CTA. If you like this episode, share it with someone who could use it. And remember to follow us on social media. We are the Everything Else Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and you can follow us on LinkedIn. We are Vera Babat and Mercedes Remedi. A big shout out to our sponsors, Learning and Abstracta, our sound producers at Oikast, and our producer, Natalie Rogers. 